Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hi, everyone. Today is a little bit of a special episode. Today's guest, I'm a bit of a fanboy around. I've been watching what they've been doing for a couple of years now. And then about a year ago, I invested in their company. So put a little caveat, I may be cheerleading a lot around this conversation, but I've been very impressed with what today's guest has been able to do. So much I put money, but even more so just their own efforts as an entrepreneur. Very, very smart, very, very well thought out. And Today's guest is interesting because he had some early entrepreneurial success that didn't quite pan out the way he wanted. And he went off to take on a series of product management to product leadership to head of product at some very interesting companies and kind of grew up before during the beginning of COVID founding Alts.co. He's the co-founder and CEO of Alts.co which is the largest alternative investing community online. But there are so much more as an investor, I know, but there are so much more than this. So I'm really excited about today's guest. So without much further ado, please, let's welcome Stefan von Imorf. Hey, Stefan. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great because like, as I mentioned in when I was introducing you to the audience. I subscribed to the earlier versions of the newsletters as you've required to become part of everything. And then, you know, I've invested because it was a way to get my son wanted all the fancy sneakers as a teenage boy normally does. And he's becoming a sneakerhead. I was like, yeah, let's wait till you grow a bit (laughs) before we, uh, and you make your own money before we go spend a few hundred bucks on sneakers. But we bought on Otis, yeah, because of some of your posts. And we now have a portfolio of sneakers that he gets to post to his friends. So it's kind of cool to do something for my son. I've been able to like dive into what you guys are doing and even invest, which has been cool. Thank you so much for creating this. I'm really excited. I hope we get to dive a little bit more into alts as we go forward. But starting off, I would love to learn a little bit more of how you see yourself as an entrepreneur. Like, where are you on your own entrepreneurial journey? It's a great question. I think that, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was, you know, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. You hear this from a lot of entrepreneurs. They, they started really young. Well, I was certainly no different. You know, I was kind of just uh, selling candy from the candy shop down the street, like out of my room at like a 10% markup. So people didn't have to walk, you know, down the street to get candy. Every time, you know, we had like yard sales and garage sales, I was like, you know, just trying to like hawk all my wares to the neighborhood, right? Um, I also had a paper route, which I've actually read that a lot of entrepreneurs used to be paper boys. And it's kind of funny. It's interesting. It's kind of like a running theme. I was a paper boy. Really? That's so cool, man. That's it's one of like my best memories. You know, I think it's it teaches you a lot as a kid. And it's you you are you do have your own business as a paper boy, right? Like you you know this, you know, it's like 
you've got customers, you've got people who churn, you know, you get paid based on how big your route is. And among other things, you get tips at Christmas. I don't know about you. Did you get the big tips at Christmas? They were good. I had a small route. I remember the year and a half I did it. I had a small route. But then right after Christmas, I got like, I picked up some other kids who went off to high school, which is usually the thing when you get to high school, you're like, I'm not doing yeah. this anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I get, it's funny you mentioned I gave it to my brother as soon as I got to high school as well. I gave it to my little brother. But, you know, suffice to say, you know, I think that was a great experience. And, you know, my first real business fast forward now was um, pretty much right after college. I started an online retailer of video game accessories, gaming accessories and repair parts. And, you know, it was interesting. It was um, right when uh, like Nintendo Wii, Xbox 360 were really coming up. And it was like before mobile gaming. So you're talking about like 2007, 2008, that area. We were, uh, one point we were like the number 13 seller in the world on ebay um number 13 or 14 i can't remember you know we were rocking and rolling what happened uh that business though uh was we were pretty over leveraged we got pretty ahead of ourselves yeah it's kind of funny i, mean, I was pretty young you know but the crash of 08 kind of like you know it hit pretty hard to be honest we were able to recover and you know we didn't go out of business we were able to recover and it took us about like a year and a half to recover and by that time the market had kind of like moved on a little so it was kind of moving into like mobile games and stuff like that so long story short we actually ended up selling the business on flippa actually which is uh, i would i would later you know a decade later i'd actually become the head of product at flippa which is kind of funny but yeah so that was kind of like my first entrepreneurial business that um that i had my wife and i had and you know i mean it was it was great i mean we learned a ton we learned i think i think it's really good for an entrepreneur to go through something that doesn't quite work out you learn how quickly it can happen and how thin success can be. Um, and you also learn what to watch out for next time. And, and so I definitely carry a lot of those lessons forward. But, you know, after um, selling the business, kind of actually got out of entrepreneurial, lost the entrepreneurial spirit a little bit, I should say, for a while. I, you know, I'll, if I'm honest with myself, I think it was because I was, I was actually like a little bit scared. I was, I was kind of like was scared off of like starting something again, right? I actually wanted more kind of like stability, you know, in a way. I was um, living in Santa Barbara at the time in California. And, you know, there's a lot of great tech companies coming up. So I worked at a couple of those. I was at Citrix for a while, had a, a, some time at LinkedIn and a company called HG Data, which later became HG Insights and um, sold to a private equity company. So had some great experiences, uh, really fun times with those companies and then moved to Australia and worked at uh, Flippa for about two years now. Flippa was interesting because, you know, it was, it's kind of like, you know, Flippa is a marketplace for buying and selling businesses. And so it's a marketplace full of entrepreneurs, right? And so it, it felt like very much at home there. And, you know, while I was at Flippa, I kind of noticed something happening in the world. And even before COVID, there was just kind of like a, like a new drumbeat kind of forming around kind of like alternative entrepreneurial um, endeavors, right? Flippa was a perfect example of that, right? Because you buy and sell everything from e-commerce shops to content sites to SaaS products. And, you know, we, we kind of noticed that the drumbeat getting pretty loud, especially with like MicroQuire coming on the scene and, and Empire Flippers having a lot of success as well. It, it kind of felt like it was like, it was like the cool like place to be all of a sudden, like a lot of people talking about the industry and a lot of attention being paid on it. I loved my time at Flippa, but as it happens, the entrepreneurial bug bit again. 
And it bit with alt. So at the time, right in the smack in the middle of uh, lockdown in uh, 2020, you know, Melbourne, Australia, where I live, uh, we had a big, long lockdown in the um, our winter, your summer of uh, 2020. And for almost 14 straight weeks, we were uh, basically stuck indoors. One of the world's longest. It was it was crazy. And so I had nothing better to do on the weekends than, uh, you know, play with my dog, hang out with my wife, and then, of course, just just write, you know. And um, so I started writing about that's when the Alternative Assets, Assets newsletter started. And I started writing about the world of alternative investment ideas. Now, at the time, it was rooted in websites and e-commerce. And, um, you know, I was kind of taking a lot of the the influence from Flippa and MicroQuire and, and what was happening in that world. But then I, you know, I quickly realized that it was much greater than that type of alternative investment, that there was a whole world opening up thanks to a combination of kind of like regulation and um, a whole bunch of other factors, basically a whole a whole world of alts opening up um, before our eyes. And I, I, I didn't quite know if people realized exactly how big it was becoming, but if there's one thing, you know, I, I've gotten right in this life, it's it's the timing on that. I, I basically saw that happening a lot earlier than a lot of other people. And, you know, I certainly wasn't the first, but I was smart enough to know what was happening and see it unfold, bef- you know, before others. And I just, we just, I just ran with it. And, and so the newsletter just grew and grew. After about six months, I joined forces with a uh, gentleman named Wyatt, who uh, lives in Spain, like you. And he had his own newsletter, which I, I, I think you, you might have been reading that one as well. Or It was both of yours. I think I went back at one point and looked and then looked at your posting. I think I subscribed to you a week after you started. And his was only a couple of days after he started. That's so funny. Yeah, like I promoted Wyatt's newsletter in my newsletter to kind of see what the reaction would be. And it was terrific. And then I think he did the same. And we just kind of kept talking and the story is pretty crazy. So like, I mean, one day I basically just called him up and I was like, look, man, like we'd been talking a little bit. I was like, I I absolutely love what you're doing. I'm like, I I don't want to compete with you. You know, I don't know what your situation is right now, but like, if you want to join forces, like I am all for it because we can, we can build something really great together. You're coming at this from a different angle that I'm coming at it, but we're both have the same kind of like end goal. We both have the same kind of like true North vision, you know, and you're just a great writer. He's, he's a, why it's a terrific writer. And, and, uh, those are hard to find. So yeah, we, we basically, it was one, one chat and we, we kind of just decided to do it. We had never met incredibly to this day, we've actually still never met in person. We've started this company together, joined forces, raised money together. Um, you're a proud investor, I know. Yeah. Wyatt and I have never actually met in person. I could not tell you how tall he is. We talk every single day, but I could not actually tell you what you know <laughs> how tall he is. You know, it's it's funny. Um, that'll change soon. I'm going to Spain in a few months. I'm very excited about that. But to answer your question, like where I'm at in the entrepreneurial journey, like I've had small businesses, I've had big businesses, I've had businesses that are you know growing slowly businesses that are growing fast like this is this is it for me this is the the business that I, I i'll i'll no matter what happens no matter how much success we have no even if we fail i don't think we will but even if we do i'll be doing this for the next 10 years you know what i mean like i just absolutely love what we're doing it, regardless of what happens and believe me i think we have a very bright future but regardless of what happens i'm going to be doing this for the next 10 years i absolutely love this industry i love what we're bringing to it i love what we're learning from it i love how it's evolving it's just uh this is it for me this is you know this is the big life business as far as i'm concerned yeah i mean just to kind of play a little inside baseball without 
mentioning anything specific, I know from the investor updates. I really wish I had dived a little bit into your background more because I probably would have invested more <laughs> given your experience <laughs> as a product person. It's like, oh, I invested because of the, you know, how much I like the product and how much I think about the space. I'm seeing now as you roll out, the market is there and definitely folks, it's a great diversification. I've been looking at how I can, as an investor, you know, on my own entrepreneur investor, add that. And it's like, wow, this really does change some of the portfolio theory, all that. I really like you've had these experiences and then used COVID to kind of transition. Before we kind of get into think, what are you hoping to go as being an entrepreneur, your skill sets, as now things are starting to go to this next level? You raised a great round. You're about to have some great new product come out around it. Probably go raise even more money after that. Where are you looking to go in your own capabilities as an entrepreneur? This is the biggest challenge I've ever had as um, an entrepreneur. And the reason is simple. We're, we're venture backed, right? This is, we're, we're not bootstrapped, right? You know, I'll be honest. I'm actually a bootstrapper at heart, truly. That has had to change big time in the past three, four months. So I think one big challenge for me has been letting go of that bootstrapper mentality. All right. So what, what is a bootstrapper mentality? What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means like letting go of things that you usually do yourself, right? Like as a bootstrapper, it's very easy to slip into like, uh, you know, other people aren't going to do this the way I want to do it. Or, you know, I want to have control over this. You've got to let that go real quick. You know, you got to get rid of that right away. You got to start delegating. You got to start managing people. You got to start managing your time. This is one of the biggest mistakes I made as a bootstrapper in my first business is that I got so caught up in the day to day that I didn't really see the value of where my time was going. You know, it's like you almost like set a trap for yourself. You know, it's like, okay, you have 400 orders in a day. Like, that's great. That's great money. But guess what? Like, exactly like who's gonna fulfill them all okay then you start hiring and that's fine but you've always got to be like thinking like how can i outsource this how can i protect my time is this worth my time is this something that i need to be doing right now can i delegate this can i manage someone else to do this it, it really it's it's about letting go i think and and just learning how to manage people and manage teams That's been one of the biggest changes. It's, you know, with my first business, we got up to seven employees, but it also, it took four years to get there, like three or four years to get there. I can't remember. So now we're at, you know, seven employees, you know, they're not all full-time, but like there's there's actually more than that. I mean, there's really like between full and part-time, there's like 10, 11 folks. And that's all happened in the past three months, four months. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a challenge, but I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a lot older and wiser than I used to be. And I'm also a lot more like cognizant of my shortcomings and also just like my ego getting in the way, right? Like I think what one thing about being like a startup CEO is you, there is absolutely no room for ego, right? Like, and that, that's, that goes for you as a CEO, that goes for everyone. Like what, once ego gets in the way, people aren't listening to other people's ideas and they're just trying to like push their own agenda forward. They're not thinking like a team, like that's bad news, right? Like that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So I think that like, you know, I'm I'm very cognizant of that. You know, I've just been doing a lot of like, like reading a lot of books about scaling, right? Like again, going back to the first business I had, it was more slow and steady kind of wins the race, but like fact is like slow and steady didn't win the race, right? Like, so I've, I've kind of like thought, 
about, okay, like what are the new skills I need to learn if we're going to win in the game we're playing now? Because it's a very different game. And to win in the game we're playing now just takes a completely fundamentally different type of growth mindset. It's not a slow and steady mindset. It's a step on the freaking gas mindset. It's a rocket ship mindset that you always have to have. Now, that's not problematic for me. I love it. It comes easily to me. But there was you know, with the old me, it was something I would kind of maybe like prevent from happening subconsciously or like go through with to the degree that I'm starting to really feel comfortable going through with it now. That's a change in myself I've noticed. And it's one that I uh, embrace fully. It, frankly, it feels great. It really does. Cool. I'm, I'm glad. And it's kind of, I always love, you know, talking with entrepreneurs and like that dance between as you look from your own bootstrap at past to now being the VC route, you know, the investment route, because more than just VC these days. But it's that idea that like, oh, I have to do this because I have people now. <laughs> yep. It's that dance. It's, it is fun. And it's like what you're talking about doing and growing into as an entrepreneur, things that all entrepreneurs should do. But I do think sometimes great art comes from constraints from dealing and understanding the constraints. And it sounds very much like you're using these, I'm not going to call it constraints when you raise money, but still these new structure to help you accelerate your growth as an entrepreneur. So I think that- Well, you know, we we still do have constraints. They're a little bit different. I mean, we we still think creatively about how to grow. We had a, a solid raise, but it certainly, you know, wasn't, you know, tens of millions of dollars so we, we, you know, I think we, we definitely keep that creative growth mindset alive. And I mean, that, that kind of manifests itself in a couple of ways. I think that we were constrained even also before we raised, we, we were growing pretty quickly even before we closed on our seed round. A lot of that growth came from the, the constraint. I mean, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the newsletter we, we purchased called uh, Arc Watcher. Yeah. I guess you started sending it to the list like a day or so before you announced you did. I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah, that's that's good to know, man. Yeah, I mean, so that was definitely like a a really creative growth hack. Like we basically, I I can tell the story real quick because it's interesting, but like we knew that we we wanted to find a way to boost subscribers before we started, you know, really drumming up interest in our, our seed round. You know, it's one thing if you have like 5,000 subscribers, it's another thing if you have like 13, 14, 15,000 subscribers, right? It's going from 60 to 70, it doesn't feel like a big deal, but going from five to 15, you know, it's just, it feels very different. It feels like a different operation. And so the biggest growth hack that I know, like, and this is what I take directly take this from Flippa, right? Like the biggest growth hack that I know is, is acquisition entrepreneurship and, and nothing comes close. Like I am, because of my days at Flippa and even before then, but especially because of my days at Flippa, I am always like hustling, trying to find micro acquisitions, micro media, micro newsletters to, to buy. And it just so happens that about a month before we started fundraising, there was a newsletter called Arc Watcher, which I had advertised with them before. And I had pretty good success. I think we got a good amount of subs for the money paid, you know, it was... Um, I reached back out to the the guy who owned it, Stan, and I was like, "Hey, man, you know, I'm looking to to kind of boost our numbers before fundraise. Uh, I'm looking for do some some serious advertising. You know, what do you uh, what do you have available?" And he's like, "You know what? Like, I'm actually thinking of selling this newsletter. I'm I'm just not into it anymore." 
And uh, my God, I, I did, I wrote back like in like three seconds. I'm like, what's your number? Like, let's talk right away. So long story short. Yeah. We got on the phone. We hammered out a deal that afternoon and it, I'm just, I'm, I can't divulge total numbers, but it was a phenomenal deal, but that was a terrific deal. I've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> I mean, that was like a, that was just a terrific deal. What I found funny was investor updates. Okay. Here's our subscriber number. Here's subscriber number. And here we've grown by 90%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. We went, like you said, five to 15 is here, but it, like getting an update, you're like, but, but the thing is, it, but the thing is, it wasn't a gimmick. I mean, it was, the, the, we still have that newsletter today. Those folks are still a big part of our community. I mean, they, they've blended in now to the world of alts and to the alts community. It, it, so it wasn't just like a hokey, like, oh, let's juice our numbers. Like, it really, truly works if you do it right. And if you know what you're doing, like, I mean, it's just a, it's just a tremendous growth hack. So it's the aspect of my job and what I do that I, I just love the most. I love the deal-making side of things. Absolutely love it. So, you know, acquisition entrepreneurship has been sort of your secret sauce to your base. You have the cool base you built and did that. Now that you're in this position and you're starting to gain some traction for other entrepreneurs who are in that, what I'll call, you know, you've passed the inflection point. Yes, you still have a far way to go and please a lot, lot more as an investor is my point. But you've passed that inflection point I always say there's like that zero to one is insane. But then to me, the biggest next step is that like you go past ramen, you go kind of to that point where it's like, oh, this is a real business and I'm going to do something more than if I had stayed somewhere and worked for someone else. That transition where all of a sudden you're building something of value, not just surviving. Well, what was the thing that you think had the biggest impact on your transition point there that other entrepreneurs could learn from? I mean, without question, it's hiring. And specifically, it's joining forces with Wyatt. I think taking on a co-founder that early is without question the smartest thing either of us have ever done. I was talking about ego earlier, right? Like, and how you can't let ego get in the way. And like, if you had a big ego, you wouldn't do that. You know, you wouldn't just take a co-founder that you never met before. And, you know, that's not for everyone. But my God, has that worked out well? I mean, Wyatt and I are actually very different people, frankly, you know, um, he's, uh, it's great, though, you don't really want a co founder who's too similar to you. You actually want someone who has complementary skills. And that's what Wyatt and I, you know, bring to the table, like, I'm good at the stuff he's not good at. He's great at the stuff I'm not great at, like, exactly. To answer your question, like, that is the best decision we ever made. And technically, it was a hire. You could also call it an acquisition. You can call it whatever you want, but it was basically br- bringing gr- bringing good people on board, right? That's that is without question the, the most important thing. I think though, like th- there's a couple other things I think that are important. Like one is be honest with yourself as an entrepreneur about product market fit. This is something I see people fall into this trap of. They they kind of like think they have it. They don't really have it. I've been you know I've been a product manager for most of my tech career. And I was ahead of product at Flippa. So I, kn- I know product pretty darn well. And I know what product market fit feels like. And there's no other way to explain it other than you know it when you have it. That's it. You ask 10 different product managers, like, you know, what product market fit is, you'll get 10 different answers. My answer is you just know. You just know. Now, for us, the, the product was the newsletter, right? And it still is for primarily, you know, um, that's changing. But the product was the content. And so I like to think of us like what we had was like newsletter market fit. 
it wasn't product, but it was the same thing. It was just, you know it when you have it. Like it's just resonating. The engagement's great. People are loving it. You're energized from it, right? Like you're gaining energy from writing it. You're not losing energy by writing it. It's all part and parcel of the same kind of idea. I've also been at companies and, and worked on products where like we didn't really have that. You know, not every product's a winner, not every feature is a winner. And there's a tendency, especially at large organizations, but even with entrepreneurs, there's a tendency to kind of like want to make something work, even though it, it, it kind of doesn't. Now, you know, you hear the term pivot a lot and like, yeah, you can pivot on features, you can pivot on little things, but if the fundamental product doesn't have fit, it doesn't have fit. That's all there is to it. And most things don't. Most businesses fail for that exact reason. Now, there's varying degrees. It's not black and white, but just be honest with yourself as an entrepreneur, like if you have it or not. And it's just, you know it when you have it. It's like being in love, man. What else can you say? You know, <laughs> you just know yeah. it when you have it, you know. Um, if you spend all your time wondering if you have it, you probably don't have it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. And like, and I hate to say it like this, but the thing is like, it really is from issue number one. From the very first issue, I knew I was onto something. And, and it sounds ridiculous, but like I'm telling you, like it just from issue number one, I just knew it wasn't actually like the issue itself. It was just the reaction I got. Like people that like responded and like the way they responded and then and the number of subscribers. I think we got like six subscribers that week or something. You know, I mean it's like it's crazy. Now we're doing like five, six hundred a day on a on a good day, you know, but the feeling is still the same. So the other thing though, I want to say there's a critical thing I think that we did right was when it comes to acquisition, find your angle and just step on the gas on what works. So it's no secret that for us, like being a newsletter oriented product, like newsletter sponsorships and newsletter partnerships have been a huge formula for our growth. That's not going to be the same for everyone right? That like, it, there's some people who won't find success advertising in newsletters at all, but they'll find a ton of success uh, making viral YouTube videos or TikTok, or whatever it is, right? Or advertising on podcasts or like, who knows? You got to have an acquisition game that works. You know, you re it's got to be a pretty well-oiled machine. The numbers have to work. The unit economics have to make sense. We are a well-oiled machine right now. Our marketing machine is and it, it's not even fully optimized yet. That's the crazy thing. But we are like, I mean, we're on pace for, for 7,500 subscribers in January. And it just boggles the mind. I mean, it took us a year and a half to get our first 7,500 subscribers. Now we're doing that in a month. And it's because we know our marketing machine works. It just works. We know what to step on the gas with. And we're just pressing, you know, as fast as we can. So my advice would be like, just once you find an acquisition stream that works, just don't, don't actually worry about the others as much. Just find one that works and just punch the gas. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm laughing. Yeah, I see the updates, but they're post your efforts. But I'm literally like, on the, you know, because I subscribe to a gazillion crazy, you know, XYZ, crypto this, you know, outside this entrepreneurism. And like, literally, you've been popping, you know, I'll, I know you raise money and you're using, putting it, you know, you're using the ammunition, but it is hilarious just to be like, a newsletter I've been getting for like two years, all of a sudden, you guys, are, <laughs> your logo is right on the top. It's just like, yep, they're at it's kind of nerve wracking though, man, because like, you know, like it, it feels like we're speaking to a much bigger audience now. And like we are, it, it shouldn't really fundamentally change anything. I mean, email certainly scales, 
But you got to believe that when I had, you know, 56 subscribers, clicking send was not a, there wasn't exactly sweat pouring down my brow before I click send. You know, now it's like, you know, Sunday night comes around and uh, I'm trying to get the Sunday edition out on time. And, you know, I got 25, 26, 27,000 people. This is going to go out to. And it's like, I mean, you got a checklist. Yeah. Did I run this through Grammarly? How are all the images? Are the alt tags looking good? I mean, it's like every paragraph matters. You don't want to waste anyone's time. And our standards are high. You know, our editorial standards are are really high. We don't hit a home run with every issue, but we really try to keep things interesting. And, you know, I like to think we that's a part of the reason we've grown is that we just we flat out put out good content and we're, we're good writers but yeah, the pressure's on now, man. Now that we're growing more, it's like it definitely just takes on a different kind of like element before you hit send, you know? And I actually, I think, you know, because of the content, I know the reason I invested in you. You were one of the first ones. You are very much pro-alt investing, but you were very early on like, wait, some of these are great. Some of these are not. And you dive into, I would have to say it's gotten a little better, but it's still two thirds, if not three quarters are like alt everything. Yay. With any type of new stuff. And then they talk after things fail. It's like, well, thank you very much. You've made a big effort to put a structure in place and guiding people of like, what is good and why. And, you know, I also love how deep you guys go into valuation versus just how cool something is. So that is kind of cool to see that value as you bring it. It's funny because, you know, like what, what, what I love about this business and this industry is that, you know, we're all kind of like learning together. You got to remember, like these markets are new. You know, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of them are as old as time. You know, buying farmland is <laughs> pretty much the oldest alternative asset you can get, you know. But like buying a meteorite is is five years old, you know, I mean, or, you know, maybe a little longer. But the point is, like, a lot of these markets are, are really new. And so, like, each market's different. That's the crazy thing is that, like, every market has its own nuances, its own kind of quirks and dynamics. And that that's fundamentally what we're in the business in is understanding markets, right? Because once you understand markets, you understand valuations. And so like, we're really, we're researching this stuff to understand it first and foremost for our own selves, A, because it's interesting, you know, B, because it gives you a leg up and a huge advantage when it comes, you know, when we're ready to launch our fund. And C, like, it's just every, we're taking everyone along for the ride. We don't set out with an agenda, like, oh, we're going to write a positive story about this piece, uh, this uh, asset or a negative story about that one. It's, it's almost like it's just a journey, you know, like we, we basically go on the journey. We write down the journey. We don't know where we're going to end up, but wherever we end up, we're going to let you know wh- how we got there and why and what it means. And then we kind of just clean it all up and send it all out. Like, that's it. Like, we're just, we're exploring new territory with every issue. And it's really, it, it's fascinating. It's fun. I mean, some of my favorite issues have been stuff I knew absolutely nothing about. I'm talking nothing. Well, like last month we interviewed, uh, get his last name. Bruce is his first name who has one of, he has the world's most valuable Hot Wheels collection. I mean, this guy's almost single-handedly like created all this market in a way. Like, I mean, he, he was, um, you know, one of the first to really like help pump this market and push it into uh, kick it into high gear. And, you know, he's got like a Hot Wheels museum. He's turned his office into like a museum. And I mean, it, it's just every single like quirky kind of collectible out there. And there are hundreds we haven't even gotten to yet. You learn something new with each one. And it's just, it's such a, it's so satisfying. It really is. Cool. Now, 
you did mention one thing, and I wasn't sure if this was public. Is the fund public? It's getting pretty obvious that that's the direction we're going in. Yeah, like it's at first we were kind of like you know hush hush about it. Um, it's definitely no secret now to anyone in the community that we're we're working our tails off to bring a, a fund to life, and we're we're working our tails off to bring a, a Reg D. This is a Reg uh, D fund for accredited investors to life. Now I, I can't speak about more than that. Obviously, I can't give details. We don't feel the need to be secretive about this. I mean, we we've had customers asking for this for over a year now. I think I think you're one of them, you know. <laughs> it's like and, and so th- there's a ton of work that goes into this. And actually, you know, I want people to know how much work goes into this. And the reason is because we're we're in an era right now which is pretty fascinating for like a lot of reasons, but you know, w- what's happening in DeFi right now is just out of this world. I mean, you've got DAOs that are like spinning up like 30, 40 million dollar funds in, you know, 3-4 days. Like you look at Constitution DAO, that's like a 40 million dollar fund they spun up in less than a week, right? No like there was some, you know, th- they crossed the T's and dotted their eyes. Those guys did on like the legal side, but most of them don't. A lot of them clearly they're not taking that uh seriously at all. And I think that's unwise. I really think that's unwise. This is fundraising is very regulated industry. This is serious business. We have, there's all sorts of regulations in place. And then you've got like this loophole now with crypto that's happening. I'm not judging it. I'm not like, I, I get it. Frankly, I would love to start a DAO someday, but you better believe we're going to have our, when we do, you know, it's going to be done like <laughs> with all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. And I feel like a lot of these crypto funds spinning up that are not following the rules, I, I don't think that's going to last forever. I could be wrong. Nothing could happen. We could never regulate this stuff. Uh, I just, I, that's not the future I personally see playing out. I, I think that a lot of this stuff's on borrowed time. So we're, we're doing things the right way. We're, we're making the effort to really become a legit investment fund for accredited investors. And then, then we'll be able to sleep at night. We don't have to worry of that, you know, the SEC is going to crack down on us someday. You know, it's just like, um, you know, do things right and then we'll, we'll be in good shape. Yeah, I am excited to see where Dow goes, but it does feel like right now there's not enough. The logic of it makes so much sense. It's just the play. It's like I spent a bit over a thousand ETH back in the ICO, you know, 2017 period. And I have to say, probably, you know, very close to the startup thing. I have a couple that made me my money and back, so I don't have much to complain. But a good portion of them either were complete out frauds that passed all sorts of checks legit banks, you know, legit people backing them you know, and then turn out to be complete fraud or just disappear. And it has that feeling with DAOs somewhat now. It's like, okay, or NFT, you know, all this. It's like some are going to be amazing beyond belief, but there's too much money first and then we'll figure it out. After. Well, let's, let's, let's dive into that for a sec though, because th- there's a couple of things going on. Like, Let's not kid ourselves. Companies themselves, for the, the the prevailing wisdom for hundreds of years before the turn of the millennium, was that companies were supposed to make money. All right, <laughs> like something happened around the year two thousand. Basically, like you know, during the first dot com bubble, uh, but then even afterwards, where suddenly being unprofitable became cool and. You know, uh, Amazon was the you know prime example of this for the longest time. They weren't making any money at all, and. It kind of, you know, you have a lot of people that are saying that, well, that's kind of the new norm now. You know, I mean, you've got you've got a whole new model of capitalism. You've got the Uber model that the Uber still hasn't 
doesn't make profit. It kind of doesn't really matter. Now, at some point it does, but I think people's time horizons on what at some point means can be way off, like almost half of a lifetime off. And that's a big, big deal. So I kind of see the same thing happening with crypto. I I have to say I'm not a NFT bear I at all. I, I, I don't think I think there's going to be a lot of projects that definitely go nowhere and stuff. But the this idea of like, I mean, even Gary V like will admit that like most NFT projects aren't going to go aren't going to moon. But this idea that like, oh, this is all going to it's all fake internet money, and it's all going to come crashing down. Like, I, I actually I don't buy into that. I, I think that we are in a new paradigm. And I think that it's been accelerated in recent years with the actions of the Fed. And I don't think it's easy to just dial that back. I think it'll take many, 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 many years. You'll have you'll have crashes and you'll have all sorts of ups and downs and stuff. But I, I you know, th- this stuff is here to stay, you know, in one form or another. That's that is for sure. That is for sure. Well, I think that kind of comes back to the value of like you guys, because it is, it's a little less fun. And, you know, from a pure, and I'm going to say this sadly, gaming perspective, but I have noticed the past, I don't know, maybe even six months, the amount of pass, because that's your terminology on investments has definitely increased. And this is what I've liked about you guys because, yes, it's not as much fun because I really am like, oh, cool, yay. But you know what? That is important. And getting through this, it will start growing and it will start. There'll be less bad actors because the good actors will grow. They'll become and they'll start policing themselves more. We've seen this again and again and again. So it's like how... Yeah, how to survive that transition point. There's so much research in literature on, you know, equity markets, right? Like it's and if you kind of follow that playbook, you, you start to notice like that that there there's some very real facts that you have to understand. Like number one is interest rates. Like if rates are going up, all markets are going to get affected. There is no question about that. It it might take a while to manifest. It's not like they're going to 7% overnight, but it will have an effect on alternative markets. I mean, the dirty little secret is that alternative markets, everyone is different. So this is a hugely broad brush I'm painting with here. But what we're seeing is that a lot of the markets are actually fairly correlated with each other. Now, to different degrees, and there's exceptions galore. But I mean, take crypto, for example. I mean, crypto is supposed to be this, Bitcoin is supposed to be this big hedge against you know, markets. And now it's just, it's the exact same graph. I mean, you, you, you superimpose the, the BTC over the S and P it's this, or the NASDAQ It's the same graph. Right. So to answer your question about like, you know, why, why so many passes, it's definitely like that. It's the fact that, um, you know, interest rates are rising. We want to be more cautious about what we are giving a, a buy recommendation to, but also we're getting smarter. Like we're getting better with our data, right? Like when we first started out, we just didn't have as much data, right? Now we've got, you know, two years worth of data and a lot of it's data that no one else has. We do see when um, ebbs and flows are happening. We see when uh, markets are ups and down. We know what breaking the barrier looks like at 10%, 20%, right? So we're just we're just getting a lot better at, at making our calls. Now, here's the thing. We've been wrong plenty of times, right? Like <laughs> Chrome squiggly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang on. I think I actually no, you're right. I did uh I didn't give that one a buy recommendation. But I, I brought it to people's attention, which is the important thing. And no, that thing did, mooned it was for a sure. Buy. Yes. It was a buy. Yeah, it was a buy, and then like 
immediately dropped by a third. There's certainly others. I mean, like, you know, it's too early to say I would start naming assets that we've been wrong on. It's too early to say because they're they're still being actively traded now. Uh, but it is clear that like, even as of like this morning, like we were definitely wrong on like some and like, that's okay. That's fine. Like, no one's gonna get this 100% right. Most people aren't are barely gonna get it over 50% right. But you know, the longer you do this, and the more data you have, and the more kind of opportunities you see, we're pretty confident in our ability to you know, find alpha pretty much. I do think that, you know, we're also because we're in the early days, and because these markets are pretty like illiquid. uh, In many cases, you've got really big bid ask spreads on a lot of assets, you've got just because of the illiquidity, the illiquidity, I should say, um, it's a lot easier to find mispriced assets. I don't know if that's going to be the case in like five years with a lot of these assets. But for, for right now, we're confident in our ability that when we do say something's a buy, uh, that it's it's usually right. We do miss assets. We say they're a pass and they actually were a buy. That's fine. I'd rather be wrong and be a little bit more conservative about it. When we see a good deal, like we let you know. Yeah. And I would love down the road. I think you're also looking at a smaller scale is going to be an interesting thing because even talking 10, 20 million, wherever you guys are going, 200, it's going to change as you then start getting towards 100, as you start getting towards, this is such a great niche, but I don't know if it's how big can it get without getting a little wonky. You know, when you start talking, you know, large, large funds, that's going to be an interest. But that's... It's funny you mentioned because, um, you know, why now we're just talking about this. So if you look at the the biggest hedge funds in the world, right? And you look at their performance last year, it was a they were, it was abysmal. I mean, you look at the top 30 hedge funds, they, their returns were brutal. And it's it, you're right, it just it becomes really extremely difficult to uh, get an edge when you have to deploy, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars of capital. But, you know, that's that's the high end. Like we have a long way to go before we yes. have that problem. We'll so, there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've talked about sort of the success for your customers, you know, this, you know, finding alpha. You've talked about the growth stats, you know, for the business, which is really cool. I know you have, with a little inside baseball because of the investor updates, I know you have, you know, you have structure there around defining success. How are you looking at success for yourself as an entrepreneur? Are you defining it separately from the business? What are you thinking around defining success for yourself? Man, that's a really great question. I think that, you know, if you would ask the old me, the old entrepreneur, the bootstrapper, what success looked like, you know, it was very much short term think a lot, lot more short term thinking, right? The business I had before, you know, it was very much like success for a day might be like we got all the orders out on time, right? Or even something is, oh, we, we made, you know, $1,000 today or whatever it is, right? Like profit, like that's good. That's, but it's all short-term stuff. I think the, one of the biggest changes I've, you know, had to bring to my own thinking about success is keeping the eye on the long-term prize and making sure you're pointing in the right direction. The whole company is pointing in the right direction. Basically keeping that true north, right? That's what I've learned through my years as, um, you know, in product is you can deviate from the path a little bit, but you've got to keep pointing north and you've got to make sure everyone knows what north means, understand why north is important. And so if you got the what and the why, the how will take care of itself. So 
that's that's basically the way I think about it, right? I mean, I know you are looking at this as like the game for the next 10 years, but you've shown just like I've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think it's most people from the outside think entrepreneurism is like this one thing we do, like the one business and they're, you know, blah, 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 Amazon, this Facebook, you know, and that's it. But most of us who, who try and do this, who do this as a living and kind of stick with it, it's like, okay, yeah, I spent five years this, I spent 10 years, and it's this journey ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs more than it looks like. Are you looking at what your true north is and then weaving in alts, you know, how you align with an alts true north? Or are you, are you even looking at that? Like, what is Stefan's true north? Being a CEO of a, you know, a, a venture-backed startup, you definitely do a lot of reflecting you know, I think what it comes down to, like, ultimately, what's my true north is, man, I just want to be proud of myself, like, in 20 years, you know, like, just proud of what we achieved. And, uh, you know, we're, we're on a great path for that now. This is not something I had with previous businesses. Like, you know, even when our, our business was, you know, this is kind of, you know, pretty honest to talk about, but, it, you know, I, I feel comfortable talking about it because, you know, e- even when our, our, my first business was having some really great years, it wasn't the kind of thing where like I really like loved what I was adding to the world. It wasn't bad. You know, I wasn't out robbing banks, you know, <laughs> anything like that. It's just I fundamentally didn't care a whole lot. Like it was fine. It it was you know, it was good money and you know, it was interesting. It was exciting. But it's not the kind of thing that like I really wanted to be like a part of my like life story. I just didn't know how to uh, reconcile that. So I kind of ignored it. But this, man, I love what I do. I really love it. You know, I, I, I just, I love what we've created. We've created such a great, interesting, unique business out of thin air. We are bound by nothing. We are just, this is an execution play now. This is um, in our hands. There's things that will be out of our control. Like there isn't anything else in life. But, you know, I, um, I'm extremely proud about what we're building, the way we're building it. And I have full confidence that in 20 years, my true north will have been hit, which is just, was I proud of what I did? That's some serious life satisfaction, man, if you can get there. So that's where I'm aiming. Very, very cool. I, I love that. That is something to really push yourself for. Now, the audience listening here, what should they do if they're interested in what you're doing? Where should they go? We're we're looking to hire smart people right now. Like I said, hiring is the most important thing. And um, so I would just say this: like, go to the site alts.co. If you like what we're putting out there, if you like our our angle, if you like the energy, if you like the intelligence, if you like the content, if you like what you see, you know, let's talk because we are looking for smart people to join the team. Uh, we'll make a role for you if you're the right person. We've got specific roles we need to fill, but we're also just looking for for hungry, smart, eager folks that love the mission. And um, so if that's you, like, you know, let me know. Uh, Stefan at alts.co and uh, email me anytime. I'd love to have a chat. And, you know, also, if you are interested, go subscribe to their newsletter and they have, you know, the premium and the pay. And then, you know, keep them aware for when they raise their fund because, you know, I think this is going to be, it's a great way to get insight into the market of what's going on by some, you know, people who are developing some great expertise, have good expertise, but even more, I see you guys developing a higher level of expertise here. So go check out alts.co, subscribe. If you're looking for a job and you have the capability, go join them too. 
Love it. Thank you for the words of encouragement. Appreciate it. <laughs> this has been like the reason I want you know, to get you on is it's been so much fun. And I am in a bunch of like, I th- used to call them as like the four hour work week wannabes, but it's kind of all, <laughs> you know, like over the past five years and yeah, five years, that kind of is kind of the alternate entrepreneurship. I don't know how you, how else to do it. You know, a little bit into the click funnel world, a little bit into this, but it's like, it is interesting seeing how it's evolving. And, and the reality is it's diversifying the entrepreneurial base. So I was involved in some groups and you guys came up just as, Hey, this is interesting. It was cool. You know, I had looked to invest in VinoVest kind of mm-hmm. past, unfortunately, stupid idiot that I am. And it was like, that was, you know, I remember like, Oh, Hey, check out this. They're kind of in that same area. So it's like seeing you guys come from that newsletter to where you are now has been so cool as someone who likes the game of entrepreneurship. You know, it's like watching a sports team. You're like, wow, that's so cool. You know, it's not my team, but damn, that's cool to watch. That's really great to hear. Like, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll, I'll say that, you know, first of all, it's been fun, really fun being on, on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited and super, you know, especially uh, excited to, to have folks like you along the ride with us, like early believers like you that backed us on the seed round you know, community investors are like everything to us. And um, we really, really appreciate um, you putting your money where your mouth is and and helping us um, achieve our goals. But, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting, a very interesting 2022. And uh, there's so much going on both with the company and, you know, the uh, the world at large and this industry at large. I, I fundamentally believe that this is, you know, for all of the struggles and COVID and what have you, I, I really believe this is like, like the best time to be alive, honestly. And uh, there's just so much interesting stuff happening, especially in this industry. And, you know, we'll be there uh, covering covering it all on top of it all. Thank you so much, Stefan. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Take care. That was a great experience for me. I always love, I think, as I mentioned in the show, when I see something early and I watch, you know, something grow and you know, in this case, get involved as an investor along the way. But just even having seen them a couple of weeks after they started, you know, the newsletter, both the two newsletters, um, and then kind of where it is now, and where you know, there was a little bit of chat off uh, off mic here about you know the amazing things they're going to be doing, and. That is what's so cool about what we do as entrepreneurs. People like to think, oh, it's this one big concept. You're a success or you're not. When the reality is it's like all these little things that kind of add up sometimes very, very well and most of the time not. But it's like when it works, it's exciting. And it's really, it's something I think as an entrepreneur, you have to get good at enjoying other entrepreneurs efforts and successes and empathizing on their failures because it's like it's what we deal with all the time sorry i'm rambling but it was just really fun talking with stefan i'm really happy and it was actually the first time i had a conversation with him you know he talks about you know being never having met his business partner well i've only had email exchanges no phone calls no nothing um, with them so it's kind of cool you know to actually get a voice put to it and like you in the audience, there were some great things to learn. I mean, Stefan was really, really generous in what he's been learning. I like that I've 
felt this, but as he kind of called out, having he was talking about having something that doesn't work, you know, some success, but like doesn't work in the way we want, and then ends up kind of failing, breaking, ends up helping us as entrepreneurs longer. I know, and I do it myself, and I've talked with you know some of you in the audience that when we fail we hold it in too much and we get a little like, Ooh, oh, oh, I can't do this. I don't want to fail again. When yet, if we're honest and we look at it and take from that ways, it really will help us grow better in the future. So looking at, you know, our failures, not as things that mark us as less, but as some things that can help us tools to use to further our growth moving forward. I really do, you know, how he called that out. I also really love the two things when he was talking about what was helping him be an entrepreneur was because they went out and raised money and they took on investment, as I said, you know, again and again, I'll just keep cap. I am an investor, but not in this formal, same round, but they took also from some formal investors. You know, I'm an angel investor who's like, hey, let me just cheerlead for you. These people are more about, we want to see success. Here's the dotted lines. How it's been accelerating his efforts to be a better entrepreneur. And I think the constraints we put on ourselves to force ourselves to be more aware of how our ego plays into our efforts, how our own weaknesses, failings, et cetera, and how we can you know, work with our team and support other people and not bring our crap into the picture, I think is really important. And it's something as I go about my business, I think we all can, it's something we don't have to wait until there's that external pressure. You know, it's something we can work on ourselves and we'll have a very high return on investment. And also, I don't think it's any secret, but here on the show, I spend a lot of time talking with people who think about acquisition entrepreneurships in all forms, from starting their journey to growing it to coming back into the game. I really think it's something to dive into and probably even less of a less of a consideration of this big you know, thing you have to worry about. And maybe more like they're doing here, where it's becoming part of their business model. You know, it's just like jumping on as he references jumping on that one sort of, you know, method that's helping them get to that next level and then putting all their effort. I think acquisition entrepreneurship should be looked at more often by what we're doing. I know I'm expanding my efforts. I'm actually training some of my people specifically around looking into how we can get cool opportunities into our pipeline. So something to really take in and you know go listen to you know our talk with walker we have a bunch of really good ones and we'll put some in the show notes about you know ones to go listen to that really dive into different concepts you know to go along here with stefan's honesty about the product market fit yeah we all talk yeah i've talked a gazillion times that you know oh it's sort of like dating you know relationships you know when you know but he put it just so well that like he fell in love. You know, it has that like, oh, I saw them and they I knew they had to be mine type of moment around this concept. I think it's okay to not be in love, you know, per se with what we do with our business, but 
the honesty around product market fit is you know when you know. You know, it's not that if you're wondering if you have it, you don't. I am very guilty of that. There's so many things where the fact that I'm Mr. Squirrel with every bright, shiny idea that comes along, I'm like, yes, please, please, let's do this, let's do this. I realize getting that and making sure you're there as something that brings you into the transition to that higher capability, you know, that higher level of entrepreneurship is very important. And once again, Acquisition entrepreneurship is a great direct action you can take, a tactic you can develop and utilize as part of your growth strategy. But checking your ego around product market fit. So I guess checking your ego is the the macro here. Putting effort into that, whether it's mindfulness, meditation, talking to a shrink, whatever, you know, talking to business partner, putting effort there is going to return so much. I love that one of the common things when you talk to entrepreneurs, yes, we all do this because of money. But when we really start defining success, it's like, how does it make us feel? I know, looking back at my efforts, the things that are coolest for me are the ones that, you know, like, we did stuff that other people got value and enjoyed and talked about in a positive manner. Yeah, because there's all different ways. I mean, the satisfaction of creating a whole new market as you know, Stefan and the alt.co team are doing is amazing. But you know, just this ability that other people are getting value out of what we do and we're not just you know doing it, I think there's something big to that. I think using that as a true north and guiding our efforts towards getting there is something well worth it. So hey, if you're listening to the show and you want to go learn from some really cool entrepreneurs in a really rapidly changing marketplace, go check out Alt.co and check out some of their openings, but even just reach out to Stefan if you know, you're interested because there's an opportunity there to jumpstart your own entrepreneurial journey for someone who was a very, yeah, had a great entrepreneurial effort in his early days, you know, Besides the common fact of being a paperboy, but you know, in his early company, but then went through succeedingly harder and higher end product management, product leadership roles to now create this. And it shows he put in his cycles. You know, he's been working on this for a, a while. And if you want to kind of learn from someone like that, go reach out. Otherwise, definitely go check out Alto Code to subscribe to their newsletter. You don't have to become a paying subscriber. But I know as someone who started off, yeah, started off as on the free, and then when they offered the paid, went to the paid, the depth of insight is incredible. And something tells me it's going to be worth it if you are interested in your own financial well-being and diversifying. Subscribe to it at the least so when they come out with their fund, you'll be ready to uh, you know, possibly kick the tires and what that looks like. You know, let alone some of the other cool things they're working on. So please go check out All Talk Co. They're a great team. Wyatt and Stefan, I've been more than happy as a user and definitely as an investor. All right. So thank you again for listening to today's show. Please go check out our socials, you know, down below. We'll have all the links. Go to beyond8figures.com, you know, check out, you know, some past episodes, sign up for the newsletter. We also have started diving in with conversations with other entrepreneurs, doing specific aspects of different things that people in the audience said they were interested in. So 
go check that out. We have some cool ones, you know, that we sprinkle through the newsletter along with conversations like with Stefan. If you have any questions about investing in the money you made, you know, to invest in cool companies like Stefan, please let us know and we'll put you in touch or talk with some people who go even deeper into this aspect. So once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you listening and I can't wait to talk with you again. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.